ladies and gentlemen, catchers of all ages, and to our listeners around the world, it's time for the only podcast by catchers, The Mound Visit, with your host, Tyler Goodrow, Chris News, and CJ Medlin. And on his way out to the mound first is Tyler Goodrow. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the catcher's only podcast show, The Mound Visit. We are in the ninth, set to close this one out. It's been a great first game thus far and start to our season, and we want to thank you all for listening in. To recap, the Mound Visit crew let off any number one, followed by 13-year big league vet Gary Bennett. Then we headed down to catch up, no pun intended with that one, with the Pulaski Yankees manager, Tyson Blazer. In the fourth, we went out to Arizona to talk with first-year catching and first base coach with the Chicago Cubs, Craig Driver. Moving into the fifth, we headed to the New England area to have a chat with 23-year pro scout and Northeast supervisor of the Boston Red Sox, Ray Fragnet. Jumping into the sixth, we met on the mound in Dodger country with the LA Dodgers catching coordinator, Ryan Sienko. Our seventh inning stretch guest was the 2017 National League Gold Glove winner of the Cincinnati Reds, Tucker Barnhart. We went to the bullpen in the eighth and called on the New York Yankees catching and quality control coach, Tanner Swanson. And as opposed to handing the ball to our closer, we decided it was best to hand a bat to our three-hole hitter, the 2019 Silver Slugger Award winner, Mitch Garver. It's the bottom of the ninth, 3-2 count. Here's the pitch. Garver with a drive to center field. Way back there. Up, up, and away. Mitch Garver, he got that fastball. And he did something with it. Straight away center. A curtain call coming, I think. Well, it feels like it's been a long layoff, guys. And we're back. And we're in the ninth inning. You could look at it two ways, guys. You could look at it as though that we're bringing in our closer or that it's the bottom of the ninth and we got our three-hole hitter up, our third big leaguer on the show. We're excited to bring in Mitch Garver. Mitch, how are you doing, brother? I'm good, man. I'm hanging in there. Up in Minneapolis right now, just getting ready for the season whenever it starts and staying prepared, basically. Well, again, we we can't thank you enough. I know that uh, in this time right now where there's not any baseball being played – it's just a, it's kind of unfortunate, but hopefully you are keeping some sanity that you're in Minneapolis. Hopefully the weather's been good enough for you out there. We want to kick this thing off with you. We, we've kind of come accustomed to our show and it's called our blocking drill. And we're just going to fire right in at you and we're going to throw some questions. So Chris okay. is going to lead us off. <clears throat> All right, Mitch. So this is a, uh, this is a rapid fire drill. So we're going to throw some uh, things at you. So there, all right. So here we go. First, uh, first question: When you uh, when you take mound visits, are you out there to calm the calm the pitchers down or to give them an ass chewing? Uh, mostly just to give them a breather. Give them a breather. Let them catch their breath. At this point, I'm I I am not a coach. I'm help. I'm merely giving suggestions, and I want these guys to feel comfortable. So I'm gonna let you catch your breath, and then I'm gonna walk back to home plate. Beautiful. Card games, pluck or spades? <clears throat> pluck. That's the typical typical baseball answer that's, there. That's the baseball answer. <laughs> <laughs> and then finally, uh, 
you had your choice of pitchers that you wanted to catch, Kenny Powers or Nuke Lelouch? Who was the first one? Kenny Powers? Kenny Powers. <laughs> we can't say I'll his full Kenny name because this show he edited. <laughs> I'll take Kenny Powers. <laughs> All right, up to CJ. All right, so I've got here, um, as a catcher from a movie theme, who would you say you're more like, Jake Taylor or Crash Davis? Uh, Crash Davis. All right. Uh, growing up, who were your idols or mentors in this game? Mm, I would say I didn't really have any. Um, I loved watching the game. I didn't support one player. Uh, I didn't have, like, a player that I idolized or anything. I just loved watching baseball. Anybody who was on playing on TV was good enough for me. Okay. Last one. Heard you were a hell of a soccer player. What scholarships did you have, if any, um, coming out of high school for soccer? <laughs> well, I think uh, by the time I was, like, good enough at baseball and soccer in high school, I had kind of already made up my mind that I wanted to play college baseball. So I had, a, I had like, a few offers to go play. Um, one of them was at UNM, which would have just been, like, an invited walk-on, but it was the same situation I was in baseball. So. Mm-hmm. I was like, which sport do I want more? Which sport has a brighter future to it? You know, I was I always dreamed of playing in college World Series. So there that was – I was like, all right, how do I do that? I got to play baseball. Well, it looks like you picked the right one. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, favorite team growing up? <clears throat> Red Sox. Oh, man. All right. Yeah. Uh, Netflix binge right now. Uh, we're watching those arts. There you go. Season Good three. show. Yeah. yeah. And then what does the word silver mean to you? <laughs> it's a it's a rare metal. <laughs> what about uh what about that uh award that you got there at the end of the year? Yeah, man, was, that was pretty cool, honestly. Um it was you know, it was something I was thinking about throughout the year. I was like, that's something that would be a great award to win, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like any of those awards, the Gold Glove, the Silver Slugger, obviously MVP and Cy Young, like you get up into those higher level awards, we're talking elite, elite. But uh, I, I was kind of thinking about it throughout the year. I was like, man, I'm having a pretty good year. Like we'll just see kind of where we go, just stay on the steady path and, and get towards the end of the year. And, you know, by that time, like my stats were pretty solidified and I was happy with the year that I had put up. And I was like, we'll just see what happens. Cause, you know, in this game, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of, uh, opinions and and all kinds of things like that so i was like all right if i win it great if i don't i'm not gonna let it be too hard on me well you flat out raked last year and it was fun to watch honestly from especially from the adjustments that you made and we'll talk a little bit about the adjustments you made from behind the plate but at the plate you you absolutely just put on a show and again it was just it seemed like you guys were going back and forth you and gary sanchez and and some of the other guys were going back and forth and who was going to be the guy and and uh again it was just just amazing performance that you had put on thank you um mitch will you give our listeners a little bit of an insight of you know who you are your background um where you grew up and then um you know obviously talk a little bit about yourself uh i think people are interested about that yeah, so I was born and raised in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, I played a bunch of sports when I was growing up. First one would be baseball, obviously. I played that uh, primarily in the spring into the summer. And then when it transitioned over into fall, I didn't play football. I played soccer. Um, so I'd play soccer until winter time, and then, you know, start kicking back up baseball again. Um, I played a little tennis uh, when I was in middle school 
kind of grew up just playing different sports. My dad was a tennis player at UNM. Um, so yeah, went, went to UNM for four years, didn't get drafted as a junior, went back for my senior year, uh, ended up having another good year. And, and, uh, you know, I signed with the twins in the ninth round. Um, I'm, I currently live in Albuquerque still. My wife and I have been married for four years, five years almost at the end of the year. And we have two dogs and, um, you know, life is good. We're just, we're just hanging out and enjoying it as we go. I love the look over and confirmation to make sure you had the numbers right. (laughs) 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 Were were you always a catcher growing up? And and if and if you were, if you weren't, what what made you decide to to strap on the tools of intelligence? Uh, You get to carry all the gear, dude. You get all the gear when you go to your t ball games. Um, Yeah, I was. I've always been a catcher. My grandpa was a uh, fast pitch softball catcher. And he would travel around the southwest part of the United States and, and play fast pitch. And so when I was like nine years old, I remember going over there in this, on a summer day and he had like my first catcher's mask was like a really cool looking, you know, one piece mask. He pulled over and I was I was super pumped about it. So uh, I had always been a catcher from that point on. And, you know, my grandpa was the one who got me. He would buy me like bats all the time and he would just spoil the crap out of me. Just, just buy me whatever I needed to, to play. Um, so, yeah, he got me started in all of it. And I don't know, I guess I was just smart enough to keep it on. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go back a little bit. You, you played at the University of New Mexico and you played for the legendary coach, uh, Ray Birmingham, correct? Yeah. Uh, what, what was that experience like? Just, just from past teammates of mine, but they just always praised and said what a fantastic coach he was. What was that like uh, playing for him? Uh, it, was, it was a good experience. Um, definitely something I'll remember forever. And I think he's, he's had a really big influence on me as a, as a player. Um, you know, I, I went to school there and I was an invited walk-on and I never had a scholarship until my senior year. Uh, my grades were good enough to get me an academic scholarship a little bit. So I had that going for me and, uh, you know, Byrne was, he still is like one of the big influences for me. We, uh, we, we clashed heads a little bit my first few years. Um, <clears throat> he thought it was better than, than what I was doing and I didn't really care. So I just kind of kept doing whatever. And then kind of started turning into my junior year and and I started progressing a little bit as a player and I got a little bit bigger and stronger. And, uh, you know, he really developed the way that, that I am now as a hitter, uh, Mm -hmm. just being short to the baseball and, and he has a knack for kind of developing hitters the way that he does. And, uh, you know, we're still tied to this day. Um, he still continues to produce quality hitters at the college level and, you know, they're going to be in the top five or top 10 in hitting in college baseball every year. So Mm -hmm. He can do that. And, uh, you know, he's really just made that program relevant on the, you know, it's, it's relevant in the college baseball scene now, whereas 10 years ago, it wasn't. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you feel like that New Mexico gets a knock because of the, where it's located at the altitude of it? I mean, do you feel like you would have been maybe a higher round draft pick if you didn't play at New Mexico. You played at somewhere else that, you know, it wasn't such a high altitude area. No, I don't think so. I think, um, I think the numbers may be inflated and in, when you play in those, but as far as like the, the drafting talent and understanding, like, you know, what does a good swing look like? I think we can all pick a guy out that has a good swing. And you're like, all right, well, 
he's going to have the tools for success versus somebody else. Um, the numbers, the numbers are, they are, and they're going to be inflated in that area. But, you know, I think guys are smart enough to recognize when a, when a good player can, can hit the baseball. That's one of the best places out in Albuquerque. The ball flies out there. Like you have like no idea. <laughs> oh, it's incredible. I watched the, I watched our alumni game, you know, before I headed out for spring training and guys were hitting balls in the air and I was like, okay, that's, you know, it's going to be caught in the outfield or something. And the ball just continues to carry. I, I kind of forgot what it flies like when you're out there on that altitude. It's crazy. That was one of the, uh, probably the nicest stadium I ever played in was the Albuquerque stadium um, up there. Just same thing. The ball would, you, you'd be in batting practice. You'd hit a ball 500 feet. And you'd just be <laughs> walking around like you're the, you're, you're, you're the man. And then, right. uh, then you go back to a, a different, different location, your home field. And you're, you know, it kind of gets humbling to you. But, uh, yeah, I don't want I, I to wanna date you. There. I don't want to date you, Chris, but was that the Dukes or the Isotopes? That was the Isotopes. Okay, was, there you go. Was right My right uncle the played for the that Dukes. Was, uh, Did he? Yeah. Did he really? Yeah, he played for the Dukes, yep. They're still Dodgers. Yeah, they were, they were the Isotopes. Yeah. I think it was uh, two years when we came in. I was with Nashville at the time. And they were, um, yeah, they were with the Marlins. I don't know. Everything changes. I saw you were with uh, – with Chattanooga for double A, but when, you know, going through the league, when I was there, they were, the twins were always up in new Britain. Um, right. So, yeah. Well, there are guys, we, me and, uh, you know, me and Mitch are both um, lookout alumni. So there you go. That's right. Anyway, I'm done. <laughs> so you were, you were drafted uh, in the ninth round in 2013, played a couple seasons, Arizona fall. When was the Mitch Garver breakout party? Uh, 2016. Definitely. Um, just far as like development. Well, I mean, that was like, I would say that would be like my minor league breakout party. Um, I, I had it, like, we came to a perfect crossroads in 16. Uh, I had a little bit of taste of the fall league from 15. So I, I struggled really, really bad in, in the Florida state league. I hit like 240, four home runs, you know, didn't drive the ball really well. I went to the fall league, had a great fall league that fall, um, in 15. Uh, broke camp in 2016 in double A, went and just had a, a really good year. Uh, Doug Minkavich was my manager. Tommy Watkins, who's our first base coach uh, now, was our hitting coach. And, uh, you know, things just really clicked. Like Doug and Tommy together, uh, Doug kind of taught me a few things how to hit. And, and we were like progressing with my swing and trying to become a little bit more in depth and more advanced at that level. So he kind of taught me how to drive the baseball really with power. And that was, that was the year where I kind of broke out and I was like, okay, um, I can, I can hit at this level. You know, I can hit at the professional level and, and I can drive the baseball and I can do a bunch of different things. And that was where I, the development just kind of hit this really like speed rolling, you know, just kept going and going. I mean, we're talking a lot about hitting right now, but what do you think is the biggest, I guess, adjustment from the levels that you played at and now where you're at in the big leagues from a catching standpoint or hitting 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 uh it's just it's just recognizing the strike zone really i mean you know when when you go from double a to triple a it's a pretty big jump but it's almost like the stuff regresses you know you're going into triple a you're facing older more experienced guys who know what they're doing they know what they want to throw they're not going to get beat throwing something that they don't want to throw because when you're going through the development system uh we'll just say short season all the way through double a it's like all right 
We need him to throw 40% change-ups and 30% sliders and the rest can be fastballs. It's like, well, you have to meet quotas along the way of the de- development. Whereas triple mm-hmm. A guys are just trying to get outs. Like right. they're just trying to get outs as fast as possible. Strikeouts, you know, they're trying to work on something here and there so that when they go back up to the big leagues, they have, you know, something else to add into their arsenal. Um, so that's like the biggest notice for me. It was like, you go into triple A, they're not going to throw you something just to throw it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're going to try to get you out. And then once you recognize those patterns, that's when you start sitting on pitches and, and knowing which teams to attack and how they're going to pitch you. With your guys advanced analytics in Minnesota, would you say though, that you've taken what you've learned with hitting your approach, et cetera, and, and just maybe having the conversations with the pitchers at each level into your game calling plans? Oh, for sure. Yeah, for sure. We, I mean, I've learned so much from the, you know, the guys that were, have been in the big leagues longer than me. And I'm like getting to that point where I've, rec- I've seen so many patterns and I've recognized so much success and, and where sometimes, you know, players could fail that I can relay that information to some of the younger guys now mm-hmm. that I've either played with other minor leagues or they're coming up for the first time or, or coming up for the second or third time, whatever it may be. When they're coming up, it's like, all right, here's, I promise you this is going to work. Like, here's the information. This is how you break it down. This is how you go through it without being overwhelmed. And then this is how we're going to attack each hitter. And if you just put it in that form, like how do you break it down to the most simplest form for the guy who's on the mound? That allows him to go out there and just pitch. So going into to analytics a little bit, and and this is, I think, one of the biggest things that our viewers or listeners want to hear is your adjustments that you made to your setup. Uh, we just had Tanner Swanson on the show this last week, and he just raved about just you absorbing the information as well as just uh, kind of letting loose and letting him take control of it. And I guess first, what I want to know personally is that phone call that you maybe have made to him and when your first interaction was with Tanner. Yeah, so... So Tanner was in camp with us on, in, in 2018, and that, was, that would be my first full year in the big leagues. He was in camp with us, and I saw a lot of the younger guys doing a lot of one-knee stuff. You know, they're receiving the baseball, they're moving the baseball, and I wasn't quite in on it. You know, I was, I was slotted in to be the backup that year. Uh, Jason Castro was going to be our starter, and that's just the way it was. Like, he was going to hit righties, I was going to hit lefties, and we would kind of have that good mix. Uh, like three weeks into the season, Jason blows out, blows out his knee. And so I was like, okay, I'm, I'm thrown into full-time starter mode. And I ended up having like a terrible receiving year. The stats are all there. You can see it. Terrible receiving year. Developed a ton as a player as far as game plan and, and you know, learning how to catch at the big league level. But I wasn't thriving. You know, I was just getting by. And my, I, I feel bad for like the pitchers that had to deal with that in, in 2018 <laughs> because <laughs> – to be honest with you, I lost him a bunch of strikes and, and I wasn't, I don't think I was ready, you know, to take on that staff as a, as a full-time major league starter. So we get into the off season of 18 right before last year. I think it's December, early December or late November. I call it Tanner. I'm like, dude, here's the deal. I need to learn how to catch a baseball. If I don't, I'm not going to make it, you know, like I'm not going to play for as long as I want to. I'm not going to have as much success as I want to. I'm not going to be able to live that life that I want to. So I called him and, and we had this conversation. He's like, all right, here's, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to fly down to Albuquerque next weekend. 
we're going to, we're going to work together for three days. I'm going to show you the basis. I'm going to show you why we're going to do it. And then we're going to work on it so that when you come to screening, you have a foundation for what we need to do this year. Great. That's, that's perfect. He flies down. We get a ton of work in. Uh, he's there for two or three days. And, and honestly, that was like, that was the turning point in my career. It was like learning these movements and learning why, like, why are we going to do the things that we're going to do? And he just, the way he laid out the information was like, this is how much value you can bring to a team. This is how much value you're going to be worth if you can do these things correctly. And I'm like, all right, perfect. I'm in, you know, it's, I'm totally in. So is there like, would you say there's like a formula to this or is it just somebody turning on TV and watching you play on the MLB network or ESPN saying, Hey, Mitch Garver is down on one knee. I think I can do that. Like what are some of the intricacies to this that people don't necessarily know because they're just watching it on TV. They're not going in the minds of Tanner Swanson or Mitch Garver, you know, because I look at you as being the guy that whether, you know, we games that are on TV right now because of the coronavirus and and how we're, we don't have baseball to watch, but there's guys in the eighties, there's guys in the seventies, there's guys in the nineties that have set up on a knee. Granted, nobody's on base, but you've taken it to another level where you're, you're doing it with guys on third base, which everybody in the, at the lower levels, the amateur levels, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm not doing that because that, that's lazy or that's, that's, that puts them in a bad position when they don't realize. I mean, you're in probably a better position than somebody like me who's inflexible as all hell trying to drop from two knees down to the ground to get to the ball quicker. So yeah. can you explain a little bit more of the intricacies about <clears throat> setting up in that, in that position? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it all starts with the pitcher right so we're talking about pitch shapes we're talking about pitch shapes pitch location speeds all kinds of things and you factor in that with the left-handed or right-handedness of the batter and then where the umpire is going to set up so the whole goal of this of everything is to give the umpire the the best view of home plate if you can imagine being an umpire and standing behind a catcher as the pitch is coming in you want to be able to see home plate you want to be able to see the white lines on each side of the plate and visualize where the ball is crossing the plate right so we're really we're not trying to trick anybody with moving the baseball we're trying to give them the best view and keep strike strikes and try to get a few strikes that may be our balls so that's how it starts is is you know i'm i'm always going to be on my right knee with a runner on why because that's the position i can block from that's the position i can throw from so that's mitch garver's position that's not to say hey you're doing that's what feels best for you is what you're saying that's what feel feels best for me and that's that is the way that i can throw from that position is with my right knee down and my toe kind of tucked into the ground and digging into the ground i always have a cleat in the ground at somewhere you know i'm not just sitting flat-footed or whatever it may be i'm always in a ready position um so that's my best position i can move to the right to block by pushing off with my left foot I can move to the left to block by just like opening up my leg a little bit more and just getting a little bit lower to the ground. Now, is my range going to be a little bit less? Maybe. You know, I'm not going to block a ball that's in the left-handed, the middle of the left-handed batter's box. Nobody is. Maybe you get a glove on it. Maybe you don't. Um, mm-hmm. But you shouldn't be expected to block those baseballs. You know, that's, that's one of those things that you just can't control. So and that's as we're one, going of, one in, of the things you hear. You hear that at at the high school level. You hear that at mm-hmm. the um, 
grade school level where <laughs> coaches will sit down there and, and blast the catcher yep. and saying, you have to block all these. Meanwhile, they're trying to, you know, spin off to their left because it's on the outside of the, out of the uh, batter's box. So, yeah, I mean, for, for most kids, they have to understand, number one, they're the ones catching, not the coach, but mm-hmm. you're only capable of going to a certain distance. And then from there, the pitcher's got to take some responsibility on that. You can't block everything. 100%. Correct. We're not hockey goalies back there completely. No. And, and, and I think what we need to change about catching is like, dude, blocking has been so overprioritized, like overblown out of proportion where it's like the only warm up you do for a game is blocking. I'm like, dude, this is, this hurts. First of all, my hips hurt. And second of all, like, what's the point, you know, like you're blocking hundred mile an hour heaters in the dirt. Like, yeah, let's, let's, let's change the way that we think about things. Like, the data is there. And that's something that Tanner showed me was like the data is there. Receiving pitches at the bottom part of the zone and, and maximizing the amount of strikes you can get increases your value, increases your pitcher's value, increases the amount of runs saved in a game or in a season. It's mm-hmm. like the numbers are outrageous. And, and I think that's something that needs to change with the whole idea of catching is like let's, let's work on catching the baseball as best we can. Are you – how often are you going in and, and looking at your numbers on a nightly basis? Are you doing it on a nightly basis? Are you doing it on a weekly basis? How, how often are you looking into the numbers? Usually daily. Uh, the, the program that we use with the twins, the, the numbers don't come back until the next day because it takes a little bit to like go over all of them and, and then set the score. So pretty much every day I walk in, I, I ask what the score was and then, you can go over and then look at the ones that you missed or the umpire missed or, or whatever. But really it's just, you're trying to develop like a re- a visual recognition of what looks good versus what maybe doesn't look as good. Like, Oh, that, Ooh, that one looks super crispy. You know, you got underneath it, you did whatever you had to do and you got a strike. Uh, what can you do to repeat that? Like, what was the thought? What can you do to repeat it? I, I have a question for, for when you're in your blocking position and you, Obviously, no one likes to block a you know a mid 90, 100 mile an hour fastball in front of them. But because of the fact that you're almost halfway there, um, one of the things that you know I've talked to Tanner about a little bit is the glove placement. Because you start your glove essentially on the ground, you know, does that give you kind of a, a better view of whether you can pick a ball, whether you can catch it, or even just slide it back, tuck your head down, and let the ball you know absorb into you? For sure. Yeah, that's, it's, I wouldn't say it's as much my glove as it is my eyes. So with my, when I was in my traditional two knee setup or or traditional catching setup, my eyes were so much higher that like seeing the bottom part of the zone was just something that never recognized with me. I couldn't recognize the bottom part. So when I got lower and you can, you can go through video the next day where like you're lower, right. And you're, you're seeing the ball come in and you're picking them. And it may not be that that far below the actual strike zone. So you're like, okay, that's that seemed pretty low, but it actually wasn't as low as I thought it was. Now when you start learning like where the pitches are as far as depth to your body, you can recognize if you can pick, if you have to if you have to turn it over and block, or if even if you're feeling a little crazy, is like try to get out there and, and maybe steal one more mm-hmm. just to see if you can do it or not. You know, I think my, my blocking numbers definitely went up this past year just because 
I'm, I'm already in that position. I don't have my, the, there's no force of my knees going down to the ground and spreading out, right? Like my hips were just dying from all that. So it's almost like there's less, less that you have to worry about. It's just, you're, right. you're pretty much already there. Yeah, exactly. What was the conversation? Well, okay. So you went from Paul Molitor as a manager and then you now had Rocco Baldelli as a manager. What did Rocco think about when you were 99.9999% of the time setting up on a knee? What was his first thought about that? That's like, the biggest what are you thing, doing? <laughs> no, that's the biggest thing about it is Rocco was like, does this make you a better player? And I'm, I said, yes. And he goes, okay, do whatever you want then. That's awesome. That, that's it. That's that was good. the conversation. That's huge. Like, yeah. Does this, does this bring more value to the team? And I said, yes. And he said, okay, you're good. That's awesome. Well, how about, yeah. how about from an umpire's perspective? Has it, did anybody lean over into your and say, Hey, are you know, are you going to ever set up on two feet again in a traditional setup or what was that like for them? <laughs> you know, I don't know. <laughs> Not that it really matters, but because right. their job is to call where the ball crosses the front of the plate per the height. But just curious if anybody ever said that to you. I don't, you know, I don't remember. Um, I, I had, I did get a lot of compliments um, early in the year. Like, Hey, we, you know, you, you put in a bunch of work. Like you look, you look a lot different than you did last year. And that was enough for me, you know, I don't, yeah. even that much improvement over six months span is pretty impressive. So I was just Absolutely. happy to like kind of work on that and, and have something going into each year to improve on. Have you ever, when was the last time you actually set up on two feet? I mean, do you go to bed and then wake up in the morning and then drop to a knee or what? <laughs> Dude, there's actually one pitch that I set up on two feet this past year. One Did pitch, you really? And it was, yeah, it was like my second or third game catching. No, it was my second or third game catching. And I had just missed a block. And it wasn't even an easy block. It was like partially outside of my range. So I was yeah. like, you know, I can't let this happen again. There's a guy on third. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to prioritize the block right now because it's a one or two run game. Yeah. Like, screw it. And I actually got in a two knee setup and it hurt so bad to like be in that <laughs> position and like get down and block. <laughs> and I was like, all right. I'm not going to do that again. Like, people I'm, I'm good people are going, block. yeah. Now people, after they hear that, they're going to go try to find that video piece and then they're going to say, no. okay, no, but th this is a good thing. They're going to say, okay, here's somebody in a traditional setup and then here's somebody in a one knee position, right? Right. Or here's yeah. Mitch in a blocking and, you know, one knee setup. Here's Mitch blocking in two, you know, with two feet or a traditional setup. And they're going to be like, oh, yeah. look at that. So there's evidence out there. That's huge. Yeah. That is huge. One pitch though. Just one. one. <laughs> I was like, do you, who was, do you remember who was pitching? Yeah, Blake Parker. Okay. Oh, yeah, I know Blake. I know yeah. Blake. I was like, I'm never going to let that happen again. Blake was just, a catcher, too. He was a part-time catcher. Yeah, grew up as a catcher. Yeah. Yeah, and then he learned how to throw that splitty, and it was – Oh, yeah. He was, was a pitcher from that point. Yep. Absolutely. No, that's do you easy. find it's, uh, it's easier whether you're on the right knee or the left knee? Or does that just mean you have to work harder at blocking the other one? To block? Yeah. Uh, it's going to be easier on my right knee. I think it's because the way that my left knee, like if my left knee was down, I have to push off my, my right foot to go left, but my glove is like, it has nowhere to go. You know what I mean? My, my glove has to stay in between my knees. I can't lead with my glove and then have my knees follow it from that stance 
So basically if I'm, if I'm blocking left-handed sliders, I'm going to be on one knee and I, it's, it's really hard to describe. You're going to have to get some video for me, Woody, but I just literally just kick out my left foot a little bit further and I sink down further down. Uh, it's, Almost into like, like a Tony Pena type. Yeah, it's, it's pretty deep in the stance that I have to get to, to block a left-handed slider. Obviously, the slider is going to come back towards you, which in theory, right, the left-handed slider mm -hmm. is going to come across and bounce back towards you. And same thing with righty, it's going to bounce back towards you. Uh, that's in theory. Hopefully it works like that all the time, but um, you, you definitely have limited mobility going left with your right knee down. And, and with that, with your one knee setups, and because and I get guys asking me this question all the time is, how do you do it so you don't tip pitches enough to where you're making, you're not saying up one way for a certain pitch and one for another pitch for another direction. How long did it take for you to, to learn that or get that feel down to, to what you wanted to create so you didn't tip that? Yeah. So it's just, um, you know, I, you think that guys are stealing from the dugout at this level, but they're not. And I think it's definitely more common at a younger level. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just a matter of like mixing it up every once in a while. Just, just keep them off guard. I'm going to go right knee down hundred percent of the time with runners on base, mm -hmm. right. Until maybe not a base running threat gets on or the game in the hand or the doesn't matter right. or whatever the situation may be. Like you can always switch it up and just, all right, Miguel Cabrera is on first base. Sunday, <laughs> and, like, he's not going right. anywhere. Let me just get into a position where I can catch the baseball um, and that do what always matters most up. in that moment, right? Do what matters most in that moment. And, and we actually came to a, a situation last year in the playoffs after game one, we're like, all right, well, maybe they do have something from the dugout, like whether it's location based, um, pitch based or whatever. Astros? No, we're playing the <laughs> <All right. laughs> Yeah. Sorry. No, we're playing the Yankees and we get done with game one and we come in the next day for game two and we're like, all right, maybe they do have something, you know, we, Let's just try, let's just try setting up a little bit later. Let's try setting up on different knees. Uh, let's do almost like a late hop jump. So all of game two and game three, I was I was in my regular sign giving stance, um, basically until the pitch was coming, and then I would hop, you know, into a split knee stance um, as the pitch was coming. So I was giving them a super late target. Um, that's something you can counter off, you know, counter stealing strikes as well. How much did that? Uh affect if at all your pitchers did that bother them at all moving to a jump split or a you know a hybrid that late anything of that nature no no the the only thing that's hard from that in the jump split is uh controlling running game because there's a moment in time where your feet are both off the ground mm -hmm. and that's the time at which runners are going to be moving and you your brain will not let you make a decision fast enough right. so you're at, like you're actually already committed to being into a a block receive stance more than a throw stance gotcha that makes sense yeah and it, i mean there's so many things we worked on through the year that were like you, your stance evolves into something at the beginning of the year you can look at my video it's like very i don't want to say robotic but it's like all right i'm reading the runner at first base he doesn't go i'm getting into a super received block stance and then as the year goes on, like I'm just kicking my left leg open and, and opening up my chest to the pitcher. And I'm mm -hmm. more of in like a, I would call it like a, like a receiving flow stance where you can do a bunch of different things. You can throw from there. You can receive from there. You can kick your leg out if you want. You don't have to. It's, you know, there's a bunch of different stuff that came out of it last year. Nice. 
in this past off season, I know it well in spring training itself too, but everything got cut short. What were some of the things that you were working on uh, with regards to your catching game? It's a good question because uh, there was something in particular I did want to improve on. I was my throwing and then receiving like slower pitches. And we'll talk about throwing first. I, so last year throwing out of that one knee stance was something that uh, was new to me. And it felt like as the year progressed, my arm strength got lower and lower, whether because my legs are tired or my feet were getting slower. I wasn't getting into a right position to throw, but uh, a lot of my throws were short hopped to second base and they weren't even like short hops. They were tweeners. So it was really hard for, for Polanco or whoever was playing second base to pick them. So going into this year, I really wanted to improve on that. One of the things that helped me was making sure like 100% that I had transferred the ball in front of me so that I had a grip going behind, you know, to, to be a, become a more powerful thrower, have more accuracy and I'm not fumbling for the baseball. And then another thing was just to improve my arm strength. So I, like, I spent the whole off season uh, doing a bunch of driveline stuff, shoulder care, massages, making sure that my shoulder was healthy going into spring training. And then when we got there, the footwork was clean when the transfers were out front and everything was in line, you know, going to second base when I needed to. And all of my throws were more powerful. Uh, more accurate, you know, stronger. And I think it all just came from transferring the ball out front and making sure that I had a good grip on the ball before I even made an attempt to throw it. When you're coming out of a knee, a one knee stance on a throw down to second, so is there any trigger you used with your lower half to kind of get you moving? I noticed that uh, I saw a video of, of Sanchez trying it and he was actually lifting out of his knee and then doing a modified shuffle into his throw. But yeah. with, uh, with what I've seen from you, as well as some of the other guys out there, you know, it's almost like a sprinter stance. And, um, you know, do you do any, like, does your, does your left knee kind of, kind of bend into the ball as, so you got a little momentum coming into it, or are you just catching and going? Yeah. So, so in a, in a steel situation, I'm going to be in more of like a, like a flow stance where my right knee is going to be down and I'm just going to kick open my left leg. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to kick out to a full blown um, stand, like kickstand. I'm just going to sway my left leg open. And that, that's more of a receive throw stance. And yeah, you're right. There is a cue. It's my left knee is going to come back more to the midline. So my right foot is always going to be planted in the ground kind of, I don't know, it's hard to describe. Like my my top two cleats where my toes are are gonna be yep. like into a the ground. Bit. Yeah, all yeah, the like time. the inside of your front toe, something like that. Mm -hmm. Yes. My big toe is always gonna be planted in the ground. Um, and that's where all the power comes from. And then you just swing your leg back to the midline. And it's actually an easier stance to throw from, I think, mm -hmm. because you don't have to worry about over rotating or worrying about getting your shoulders in line you're literally just going in a straight line back of the pitcher we've done um i've taken <clears throat> i've had some of my some of my younger kids high school kids and that to um you know, play around with this a little bit because i the hardest thing with these guys is i always teach them to you know transfer get rid of it get rid of it as quick as you can put your body into a an ultra fast position and let it kind of figure it out as you go but with this i'm seeing the kids are using their legs 
way more than they would traditionally just pop right up, you know, close their close their body up and let go of the ball. But when we when we put a, a coach's eye app on it and we broke it down, I had a couple kids that were actually almost a tenth of a second quicker getting rid of the ball, going from the one knee stance versus you know the traditional, which was yeah. uh, I think it blew their mind because I always tell yeah. I told them I said the only reason why this is foreign to you is because you just haven't seen it a whole lot. You know, mm-hmm. and the more that you more that people begin to understand this, the more that they see it for themselves, the more adept they're going to be to try it. And then once you, once you get used to something, you know, then it's a matter of feel what works best for my body type, you know, but uh, from what we've done so far, you know, the kids have been, kids have been fans. I don't know if they're to the point where they trust enough to, to do it in a game um, just for the, the whole other reasons. You know, I don't want my coach to yell at me. My coach doesn't know better and all that stuff. Yeah. I want to kind of talk a little bit about, you know, we talked about your, your lower half. Let's talk about your hands. Okay. Um, what are some of the things that, that you and Tanner again would talk about as far as receiving the baseball was concerned, what kind of moves and glove angles and pre-pitch stuff would you guys talk about? Yeah. So starting at the beginning, we made it super easy. We were like, okay, we're going to rest your glove on the ground. And we're, that's, this is just like the fundamentals of being below the baseball. You're going to rest your glove on the ground and you're just going to work up to your chin. So I was working more in an absorbing position uh, from extension to flexion. Uh, and that's basically what I did all of last year was work from, from flexion or extension to flexion uh, towards the midline, back to my chin, uh, super basic. Uh, I always wanted to have a little glove angle, right? So like the, the toe of my glove where my thumb would be, that's the part that would be resting on the ground, especially for those late two seamers or, or the sliders that are moving away from you. That helps you pocket the baseball better, gives a, gives you a better chance to pocket it. Um, and then like you kind of developed this year, I, I got into spring training and, and all of the winter I was working with some different moves and trying to feel out, you know, what, it, like, I want to feel what Tyler Flowers feels, right? So he's super like flexion to extension, right? He pushes through everything. Uh, JT pushes through a lot of things, not everything, but he pushes through a lot of things. I'm like, what pitches do they do that on and why? So I want to learn how to do that. So I get into camp and I'm like, okay, a right-handed two-steamer on a right-handed batter. How do I catch that properly? How do I keep that ball in the strike zone as long as possible? The only way to do it is to kind of beat the ball to the spot and push through it. You're going to have to extend through that baseball uh, a little bit more than something else. Another pitch was a depth breaking ball that's going to cross through the bottom part of the zone. And, and I would say 90% of the time it's, it's going to be a ball just because they're so hard to receive the right way. And you're not going to be able to keep that ball in the strike zone. If you receive it up to your chin, the only way you can do it is push through it. So, those were kind of the two things we looked at like my weakest areas in the past year of receiving. Uh, one would be a left-handed slider um, to their glove side. And then another one would be a right-handed two-seamer to his arm side. So it's okay. Here's our area of weakness. How do we attack it? How do we, you know, what do we need to do to get better at it? Are you comboing that with your setup then too? Um, so you're not getting too far in the slot, let's say. And, yeah. and then are you, again, 
just to clarify this, are you then trying to push through the baseball a little bit back to the zone, kind of set that hand out front, relax down, or are you going from the ground immediately to the ground like you were with your pre-pitch, um, going, showing flashing glove and then going to the ground? And then are you going back and then back forward? Can you explain? Yeah. That so are, are you, are you asking if I'm matching shapes with like where yes. my glove goes? Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes, I am. So I'm still going to shade, you know, to a certain area behind home plate of like to counteract the shape of pitch, mm-hmm. uh, right-handed slider to the outside corner. I'm going to move it a little bit more to my right knee. And I'm, and this is something that I worked on was actually getting to that pitch and pushing through it up. Okay as opposed to just catching it and bringing it towards the center line. Gotcha. I wanted it to get on the, almost on the outside part of the baseball and push up. Gotcha. And I don't think you're actually going to push forward mm-hmm. as much as you think. Mm-hmm. It's going to be more of a straight up move. Gotcha. You know, okay. you, you're gonna, your strongest position is kind of in between here and, and further away from your body. Find that strong position, and that's kind of where you're going to present the and, and Mitch, with that, do you, do you find yourself – I had this one with our, our our younger guys curling in on the corners a little bit when you're working on shaping that pitch. Do you like kind of let your body, if you're going, whether you're going glove side or your arm side, are you curling your body a little bit to that corner to whatever side you go to? Like if you're working kind of a curling into say your if you're to your your arm side, are you curling your left your right knee in or being a little bit more ahead of your left side? Yeah, I'm under, I understand what you're saying there. Okay. Uh, no, I don't, and okay. I do it for a reason. Um, when I'm on, so if I'm on my glove side, which would be the left side of the plate, I, I can curl a little bit more on that side just because it gives my arm a little bit more freedom and more space to work with. If I were to do the same thing on the right side of the plate and shift, you know, around the outside part of the corner, mm-hmm. you're going to lose a ton of strikes in the strike zone because of just on misfires. So I want to stay in that same position. I'm almost going to keep. I'm just going to take that same position I have on the left side mm-hmm. of the plate and slide it over to the right. That way I have a ton of freedom all the way around the plate just to maximize those misfire strikes. Yeah, I was curious. I've seen some guys that, that they have done it that way. So I was curious if that's something that you've thought about or, or have tried. So so that was that's something that uh, Jason Castro does, and he brought that mm-hmm. over you know, when he signed with the Twins a few years ago. And it's something I never even thought about before, but he tries to, he tries to push everything back to the point of the plate. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's a lot really big on angles. So he's trying to push everything to the point of the plate and he actually angles his body in on that right side, but he's, he's very, very good at it. His arms are so long that even right. if a misfire is on the other side of the plate, he can still catch it properly. Something you just started there with his arms being so long. So all this that we, I think we can all put into a, a bag is saying, everybody's going to be different in how they're going to access all this stuff by how they set up their links, their arm length, I mean, their wingspan, everything we're going to do, this is all going to be relative and situational to each individual, which is, that's great. So. Exactly. You have to find the right thing that works for you. Mm-hmm. So right, right prior to um, spring training being cut short, uh, I can give some of the listeners of some of the, you know, spring training looks like for you and, what are some of the drills that you would do early morning waking up and I guess go into that for us? Yeah. So that's something that changed with Rocco. Actually, we don't do early mornings anymore. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Rocco, Rocco's all about the sleep. So uh, clubhouse would open at like 8 a.m. Uh, we would start by 945. So I'd, I would get there when the clubhouse opens and go about my warm up and 
do the whole routine I do. I, I do about 30 minutes to stretching. Uh, then I go hit and, you know, maybe do a little something in the weight room and then I go eat and then we start the day. Like we have our meeting and we go. Uh, but, but spring training the past few years have been great with him. Uh, we, so my schedule this year was a little bit different because I was slotted, you know, to be the starting catcher. Um, and we were going to work up from about four innings every other day or every two or three days to nine innings to a back-to-back nine inning to end spring training. That was set me off perfectly into the season. Uh, so we started off with like four innings, catch starter for one, few relievers here and there, take two days off uh, and then catch another game. But in between, you know, you're doing your hitting, you're doing your catching drill work. Every day would be in the bullpen doing some something off the machine, whether it be velocity, uh, slow breaking balls, hard breaking balls, tight ones, you know, more loopy breaking, like different shapes, always trying to do something different there. I didn't block this year as much as I did last year because I basically already learned the movement and I'm already in the position that I need to be in to block. Uh, so we were going to take a little bit of stress off my hips and, and body and just maybe just do some pregame blocks, light throwing, you know, stuff like that. I don't want to get beat up too bad on the machine. Uh, but but that's where we were at. I mean, we had a great rotation. Um, two or three weeks in, I was catching every other day, uh, five or six innings. And then we were right at the point where I think I had just caught seven innings or so, maybe eight innings. And, you know, I was catching five with the starter, two or three with relievers. And it was game situation. And then it got cut short. And you had uh, talking about one of the uh, the pitchers that you had added. You had switched up your jersey number, which I just found out not too long ago. Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. <laughs> so you went from eighteen, and now you're wearing number eight. Number eight, yeah. Going Very down. Cool. I can't just keep going down in numbers. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't wear number seven, right? So. Nope. I wear that one. Rocco's <laughs> got five. Tony Oliva was six. Who's number three? Killebrew? Killebrew. Killebrew yep. mm-hmm. Yeah, so all those good numbers are gone. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, amidst all this, what uh, what are you guys hearing? I mean, like, kind of what we all hear on is MLB working out in the media, but what are you guys hearing as, as a hopeful beginning to all this? We don't know, man. We're, we're at the discretion of the government right now. Uh, we, uh, you know, we trust the CDC and uh, their recommendations as far as the, the public and MLB is going to go off that. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you saw the report the other day about something in May. Uh, don't see that happening. And and Arizona is kind of a sh- far shot on the whole deal. We'll <laughs> see. Um, I'm, not, I'm not personally involved. I'm not the team rep with the MLBPA, but I am involved, and I think all the players have a say in all this. So – uh, we'll just see how it goes, man. I, know. I think, I think personally, my opinion is that uh, we need all this to settle down. Um, I don't want to go out there early. I don't want to do anything that we shouldn't do without the without the complete recognition of the CDC or, or the MLB or the government itself. So we want to go off off those guidelines. Absolutely. So what are you what are you doing then if you're in Minneapolis? Obviously. I'm in Buffalo, so I, you know, we have kind of the same weather. It's, it's horrible. So most of the facilities around the, the country are shut down. Most of the places, everyone's saying to stay home. What do you do to get your throwing in right now? Uh, so right now I'm 
I'm in Minneapolis. I went to the weight room at the stadium here before they shut down the city. I grabbed a few kettlebells, um, some bands, a weight vest, you know, just some things to, to get a workout in every day. And I'm actually very fortunate because Max Kepler's here as well. And, you know, we're working out together. Uh, we, we meet up at, at a field and we'll throw. Um, and actually a, a good friend of mine has a car dealership here and he has a cage in the back of it. So we go hit there as well. It's actually pretty good, pretty good setup. What, what else are you doing to pass the time by? Um, you see you got two boxers at your house. So can you tell us what the names are? Yeah, they're Benny and Choopy. Uh, they're both rescues. Benny's a boy. He's a little bit older. Choopy's a little girl. She's going to turn two this month. And they take up a lot of my time. I also play a lot of video games. Um, yep. If the weather was nicer, I would be golfing, but it's not. And... Uh, you know, we actually, we live in, in a really nice location in the city. So we walk out our back door and we, on a walking path, so we just take the dogs out a few times a day and nice. make sure that they're happy. <laughs> so, so you said video games. Um, I did hear from uh, a brewer that you're an avid Fortnite player. And Man. are are you the current MLB reigning champion on Fortnite? Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> yeah. That's so awesome. not... Not this past off season, but uh, two years ago, my buddy Stephen Gonzalez and I actually won an MLB Players Association Fortnite tournament. Um, you know, there's a good amount of players there. Brett Phillips was there. Uh, Trevor May and him were partners, and Eduardo Rodriguez with Julius Chasin was there, and I think oh, wow. Ender Enciarte was there. Like, it was a pretty big deal. Like, we uh, we ended up winning that tournament, and pretty good amount of cash from it and uh they haven't put on another tournament uh, but we're but uh Stephen and i still play together so uh, awesome. it's been fun so my son is a uh he's 13 he'll be 14 in another month and he's been it's probably about a good three hours for him to hang out with his friends on the fortnight so he's too embarrassed to jump in here he literally just ran out of the room after i put it on mute and said you're a fortnight guy and he's like, Dad, what's his handle? What's his handle? I'm going to play against him. So, <laughs> That's funny, man. That, yeah, that's funny. It's, a, it's a crazy game, man. I, I've tried it. I tried it once. And Mitch, uh, amongst your avid game playing, uh, I've, I've kind of followed you throughout the last few years. And you do something that's really great in the communities with um, the camp with kids with medical conditions that you guys put on. And I think that is something extremely fantastic. Um, to do that and give back to the community. What, what got you started in, uh, in doing that and, and picking that specifically, um, yeah. to go to, uh, it's, it's actually a pretty cool story. Um, so it started off with Justin Solomon, who was a, who was a player from, from Farmington that, um, was with ABA. So this was all kind of started with Ryan Brewer, right? Um, he, he developed leukemia and a few different types of cancer along the way, actually. Um, and so we're like, all right, what can we do? We had a bunch of pro baseball players in the state. You know, Matt, this was, this was the time where Matt Moore was, uh, mm -hmm. kind of at his prime and Jordan Pacheco was in the league and Scott Gracie was knocking on the door to triple A, uh, Swihart had just gotten drafted. Alex Bregman was the star LSU. Um, I was coming up, I was probably finishing college at the time and, and about to get drafted. 
And uh, we're like, all right, what can we do? So we put on a camp. Uh, we ended up raising, you know, a good amount of money for this family. And every year it's progressed and gotten further and further. And, and Ryan Brewer is actually one of the spearheads of this whole thing because mm-hmm. he kind of organizes everything. And yeah. now it's like this huge deal in Farmington. There's a, the, the main family we support is the, the Grace Morsey family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, this year we had actually surpassed what we needed to help them with financially for medical bills and travel and whatever. And that now we're just like accepting new families, like anybody in the baseball family or, or who needs help that's from the state of New Mexico or in the state of New Mexico. Uh, they come to this camp and we raise a ton of money with uh, live auctions, like player worn Mm -hmm. jerseys, bats, anything we can auction off. I think, I think we raised like 40 grand last year. That's awesome, man. We were like distributing it to any family that needs help with medical bills or travel expenses or basically anything, you know, we're, we're just raising a pool of money for some, for some different families. It's a cool deal. Absolutely, man. That's, that's very good. And, and and great for doing that for the base. I mean, being one of the guys in the community that does that, that's, that's great. Yeah. So it it just kind of passed on to me because I'm the only one left there in Albuquerque right now. I couldn't be happier to be doing it. I mean, we, we have a great time going up to Farmington and working with Mm -hmm. those kids and then they come down on, on the next day and we have a camp at home. So it works both ways like that. Very cool. So I got a question for you here, going back a little bit into the baseball stuff. Um, what are your thoughts on the potential of a automatic strike zone and all the work that you've put into your receiving and, you know, making improvements that way? What are your thoughts on if, if yeah. MLB moves to that? Or at least I think in the, the Jeff Passan um, from ESPN, he had noted out that there could be if they decide to go with the concept of moving the games to Arizona, that it would be electronic strike zone. What would you think about that? You know what, man, it's hard to say. Um, I know the electronic strike zone is coming. It's, it's going to come at some point. I feel like uh, the umpires association already agreed to work with it partially, or at least hear them out. Um, so we're going to see, I don't know. Uh, it's it's pretty disappointing because I like I said I haven't put in a ton of work to get to where I'm at right now, and I don't think I'd be where I'm at if I wasn't for me kind of separating myself, you know, from the pack, because um, there's still a lot of people that are trying to learn these new skills and it, it takes a while. So um, I don't know. It it would it would be different to have a game like that. I I, I don't like the idea of it just because of how do you separate a good player from a not good player? It's just how they hit or if they can catch the baseball or throw somebody out. Like you could, I don't know. There's a lot of different skills that go on behind a plate. And I don't think, uh, I don't think enough attention gets paid to that. Absolutely. Couldn't have said it better. So we'll see. I don't know, man. Hopefully it's, uh, hopefully it's not in my lifetime. (laughs) Yeah. No. (laughs) I just, I got a message from, um, one of the one of the kids I know, one of the followers, and he wanted to ask you. Now his name is Nick Castellana. He's a senior at Lancaster High School in Buffalo, and he's a Division One commit to go to Niagara University next year. He wanted to know what is your hand position inside your glove? Inside my glove? Yeah. Oh, are you? I just are you like I just go this? straight up. I are just you go like straight that? up. Just straight up. So yeah, you don't slide up. your fingers over or anything. You nope, just... I can I can never do that. I there was one season that uh, my thumb or my finger was getting pretty beat up, 
And so I was going to try to slide it over one just so that the pocket was a little bit, you know, cleaner without a finger in there. Yep. I couldn't do it. I didn't like the feeling. So I just toughed it out. Do you keep your hand kind of halfway into the glove? Uh, not really. It's, I mean, I mean, I mean we obviously the younger kids are, you know, they should all be kind of in this position, but you see a lot of the younger guys that will bury their hands up there. Um, so yeah, the, just from what we see when you go ahead and, and grab the glove, it's so, it's almost like a, like a snake. Yeah. You know, yeah. There. Oh. yeah. No, I just, I'm straight up in the glove. That's it for me. All right. Well, there you go, Nick. There's your question answered. <laughs> no, this has been, this has been fantastic. Um, can't thank you enough for, for all the information that you've provided for us. I know our listeners are going to dive in just because you're kind of the one that's propelling this forward as far as the way you set up behind the plate. And I think a lot of people will get a really good understanding of why. And I think mm -hmm. that's the biggest misconception is they don't understand why. Um, right. To hear it from somebody that uh, had enough gumption to go behind the plate, to set up the way that you have, and to be successful at it, I think is extremely important for just, again, the overall realization of why. Um, Absolutely. So we, we, we cannot thank you enough for that explanation. And again, we can't thank you enough for taking the time to come on our show uh, to talk with us, talk with a couple catching nuts on the show yeah. that we just love the position <laughs> and we we wish you safety and in a healthy lifestyle right now that you're living um, as well as to your to your wife and your dogs uh, and your whole Thank family you. for that matter so and hopefully we can we can hopefully end this nightmare and get back on the diamond real soon yeah That'd be great to <laughs> tell me about it we got to get out of these houses i gotta get out of the house now <laughs> right. cool guys at least the, at well, least the uh, sport night game will be stepped up so <laughs> I know. I know. We, when we don't, it's not Fortnite season. It's baseball season. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Just for the off season. But yeah, Mitch, that was, that was great. You. you know, a lot of, a lot of the kids have always wanted to, you know, inquire about the receiving, especially with all the new techniques out there. And um, you're kind of the guy that we always they go, go look at him, you know, see what he's yep. doing. Um, I'm spearheading it all. Look how smooth, look how smooth he is. You know, there's, there's minimal effort. And whether that's getting to the ball early or just being aware of what the pitcher is going to be able to throw you and just, uh, yeah, man, it, it's, it's fun to watch and, um, you know, looking forward to seeing you on the diamond very soon. Thank you. Guys. Absolutely. Much appreciated. And thank you for having me. And if we, uh, if this thing takes any longer and you guys need another guy, maybe we can do a round two. That'd be oh, great. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. <laughs> Anytime. Sounds like a plan. Definitely. All right. Thanks Mitch. All right, guys. Have a good day. All right, you too. Take, Take care. care, Mitch. Be right. well. Well, everybody, it's time for us to wrap this show up and head on home. On the behalf of all of us here at the Mountain Visit, CJ Medlin, Tyler Goodrow, and Chris News, we thank each and every one of you for tuning in and listening to us each week. Stay tuned next week for our next special guest, and we'll catch you later. You do it like this.